Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I am here with Glenn Willis, also of Peachtree Hoops. Glenn, how are you doing? I'm good. Kevin, how are you doing? Good. Are you ready to talk NFL draft? I, if we keep it to about two players, I might be able to fake it. okay let's not do that uh (laughs) so uh let's let's talk about the Atlanta Hawks then um obviously it's hard to draw any real conclusions uh from getting drubbed by 44 points 44 I think it was carry the one and all that good stuff um, I think it was 44 points, but, you know, with essentially uh, uh, third string guard rotation because they were missing six of their best seven perimeter players. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, you know, that game just kind of gets to something that was kind of sticking in my craw, which is, how do the Hawks best optimize what they have in John Collins? My, my gut feeling is just sort of the first thing, like right off the bat, let's say, you know, uh, knock on wood and all that good stuff. Uh, the Hawks make it to the playoffs. I think Collins instantly sort of eats a Kung Wu's minutes and they play him at center. Uh, and I think that alone just helps John immensely uh, and helps the team immensely. Uh, Akongu is going to get there, but it's, it, it, I don't think he's ready for a playoff game this year. Um, but apart from that, it just feels like he's this underutilized resource. And going back to the Philly game, it's like, okay, you know, Capella's kind of doing what he can, but obviously, you know, I think the, the effects of that fall were still bothering him. You don't have your perimeter players. Uh, they used him some, but it felt like they used him late too. Like early in the game, it felt like let's, you know, first thing first, you know, get Collins going because he's your legitimate scorer. The one guy that, you know, maybe you could carry, you you know, carry the team a little bit when you're shorthanded and just early in the game, uh, not a lot of touches for him. And his transition defense was atrocious. And I don't know if it was just sort of, uh, kind of lagging because he maybe was expecting more touches or something, but you could just see the whole, uh, you know, you like there was one possession where Philadelphia missed a shot and Collins is in the corner. Capella's under the basket and 
Capella gets the offensive rebound, and Collins is right to kind of stay in the corner until he knows because that's, you know, that's one of the best shots you can get is an open three after an offensive rebound. Uh, but then Capella missed that shot, and it was clear that he wasn't getting the second rebound. And Collins just turned and looked and watched a couple steps, and I, it felt like this happened more than once. But it just feels like they need to get him in a groove, and, and they haven't, and I don't know if it's lack of trying. It just doesn't fit. But I want the Collins thing to work, and so I want to turn this to you. Uh, what makes the Collins thing work? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about with Collins, and I, I think your listeners will know. Most people know I'm, you know, a, a big supporter of his. I, I've openly said I think to maximize trade, they need Collins. So that next contract, whatever it's going to look like, they need to kind of figure that out how to make it work, uh, in my view. And and there just aren't many guys like him that are so efficient around the rim. I mean, to be clear, he's way more, more efficient around the rim than Capella is. Capella kind of makes up for it with his ability to kind of get three or four rebounds in a second by <laughs> his little tip shots and all that sort of stuff. But, but Collins is a more reliable uh, and a large sample size, I should say, you know, in certain matchups where there's like serious rim protection on the other team, Collins does get kind of neutralized at the rim and kind of swallowed up sometimes. So, um, you know, but I think the, he becomes sort of like that versatile player that can, that helps you swing multiple lineups. So, when he when he's with Capella, I don't know why I would expect to see anything differently. You know, Capella's kind of priority in the, in the pick and roll, and they're running the the double drag. Capella dives to the rim, and you know, typically JC kind of floats to the perimeter. And, and but when you have Gallo in, um, if you're going to run that stuff, now they haven't run a ton of a ton of the stuff with the four or five combo of Gallo and Collins, but that's when you can really start getting Collins to the rim. I think is letting him be the first guy. There he dies to the rim and Capella, uh, or sorry, Gallo sets up on the perimeter, and it's that it's that versatility that allows him to kind of punch up so many different lineups in different ways with his different skill sets. You know, Gallo's not going to dive to the rim and be very effective. Capella's got nothing on the perimeter, and so you know, I don't know that you run anything specifically for him. We could talk about his kind of post and face up game if you want. I have deep thoughts on on all of that, but really, it's he's. I think his personality suits him a little bit because he um, is, you know, pretty team-minded. And even in the contract year, he hasn't, you know, really chirped at all about, you know, his touches going down and his shots going down with Capella being present there. I mean, you never know what's going on behind the scenes, but he just seems like a, you know, um, a mostly, you know, easily, easily pleased kind of guy and just kind of goes along and kind of does what the team needs from him and all that. So, I think when you shorten the rotation and you play almost all of your minutes at four and five between Capello, Gallons, and Collins, I think that's when you see his value and his versatility and the multiple different things he can do really gonna it's gonna really jump out and and make people realize how important you know his versatility is to be able to play with a diver like Capella and a you know a perimeter shooter like Gallo and still let them run all the same stuff if that's, they, if that's what they want to do. And so that, that's what jumps out to me the most is leveraging his versatility to string really, really good, competent you know, lineups together in a playoff scenario. And, and there aren't many guys that could make a threesome as Gallo and Capella and it work. 
you know, there aren't many guys that could do that, and, and he can do that because of his offensive versatility. Right. Yeah, and, and those lineups, uh, you've got me curious to dig for some numbers. Uh, but the Gallinari-Collins-Trey uh, combination as a three-man group, you know, they're, they're plus 11.4 per 100 possessions with that group. Um, and that's certainly one of their gold lineups. But to be fair, I think uh, if you look at two-man combinations that Trey and, and Gallo might be the best might be the best two-man grouping, but part of that is it's, it's hard, you know, how do you separate the variables here? Part of the reason that's true is because Collins is making that work. So I guess that's part of it, but okay. Uh, you, you mentioned the face-up game and the post-up game, and that seems like stuff that actually, you know, Nate's talking about this all the time. It's like, we want to go to matchups. Like he, he McMillan talks about matchups, uh, maybe 25 times uh, more than Lloyd ever did. Like he's like, we want to, we want to find our matchups. We want to find our matchups. He's always talking about matchups and, you know, looking again at last night's game. And again, I, how do you, how do you extract uh, stuff out of a 44 point loss? I don't know, but you look at the matchups and uh, you know, your main action with Capella is going right into the teeth of Embiid. Uh, He's he's going to have to deal with Embiid no matter what he does, and, and Collins was was dealing with Tobias Harris, and I don't know. That just feels like if, if you can figure out a way to hunt matchups there, that you know Philly has so many great defenders that that seems like the matchup that you want to hunt. But they didn't. I don't know. Didn't seem like it. Yeah, it didn't seem like a priority. Um, I thought the game, the recent game, that really was. Um, revealing I think about Collins was the Miami game you know in that they they were they were seeking kind of that certain matchup opportunities with with Collins there and you know to kind of break down what he does um you know when so if I could try to describe this in a way that works (laughs) in a podcast medium when he's on the left block so if you're looking at the rim at the backboard and he's on your left he, he, when he gets the ball, he wants to turn left shoulder towards the middle of the paint. And that's, that's his first move almost all the time. He may take one dribble and back up a little bit just to give him a little room to navigate. And, and that's basically his move. Um, when right. he's on the right block, on the opposite side, he wants and to – And he's, he's not a man to complicate things. Like, nope. if, if there's one thing about his post-up game, it's that there's just no wasted time, no wasted motion, no wasted dribbles. Uh, there was a game recently where he started doing shot fakes and something because he was going up against somebody huge who was a good shot blocker. But that was like an aberration because usually it's just, I'm going to go quick. I'm going to go fast. I'm going to minimize everything and just get up in the air fast. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And he, he's decisive and he goes fast and, and you could tell like even the last few years, that's what they wanted him to do. If you catch the ball in this area, go quick, you know, beat the double team, you know, go hit speed and, his ability to kind of, you know, um, move so quickly and leap so uh, efficiently is, is really what jumps out at you. On the right block, he likes the inside pivot. So it's more traditional to turn with your back to the basket to kind of protect the ball. But on the right block, he likes that inside pivot. But if you watch what Miami was doing to him, on the left block, they took away his left shoulder turn towards the paint. 
as the first move. And on the right block, they turned and took away his inside pivot. And, and so when you get a playoff matchup. How do you that, take away an inside pivot? That seems trickier. You just step into the space where he's wanting to turn that left hip in into his his space to set up for a shot. Okay. You know, if you want to see the kind of a reverse example, um, when Solo kind of shut down Randall on that last possession, I think it was in regulation. Randall, being a left-hander, likes that inside pivot on the other side, and Solo mm-hmm. got way up into his hips and would not let Randall inside pivot, so Randall had to turn towards the baseline and shoot like a 270, 270-degree turnaround. Solo did an awesome yeah. job there, but the Miami did that against him. And, and the reason I share that is that um, when you get into playoffs, the game planning down to individual assignments is going to get lifted up where you see that level. The, the Miami doing that in a regular season game is rare in my opinion, you, you're going to see a lot of that level of game planning. Um, now, Julius Randle is the, you know, next guy. So you're going to see a team be ready for the primary guy. You'll see that right. in the regular season, but sort of a secondary guy like Collins. And so, you know, the thing I encourage people to watch for is if he gets, a, even if he gets those mismatches in the playoffs, um, or as we build, see them try to build up towards the playoffs, if he is getting that left shoulder turn taken away from him and that inside pivot taken away from him, um, that kind of neutralizes him and makes him go to act, to, to actions and other shot types, fade, falling away jump shots or kind of trying to get past the guy on the baseline where he's not nearly as precise and, and good. So, you know, it's, it is really going to kind of come down to that. He, so he's, what should the counter move be? Like, let's take the one where he's on the left block and he wants to turn on his left shoulder. Is he supposed to... Like, is it supposed to be kind of a baseline move, finish with left hand? What, what, what's, what's he supposed to do? What does he do now, and what, what should he do? Yeah, he, he tends to kind of get stuck, you know, if he has yeah. to kind of turn, turn back. If, if the defender is a little slow, he's good at squeezing past the guy. But, again, mm-hmm. once you get into the playoffs, you're going to get less uh, – you're going to get fewer of those kinds of defenders where you're able to kind of get around him. You kind of think about it, some of their matchups in the – in the playoffs, you know, like if they get the Knicks and he gets a matchup on, you know, Randall. Randall is strong as an ox, and he'll just Randall just planting himself where Collins really can't. His speed is not a not a thing unless he just. And you saw one play in actually in that Miami game where Herder had the ball on the left wing, and Collins set himself up to turn left shoulder on the catch instead of waiting until the catch. So the counter move is really to speed up and to kind of get into that move maybe before you even catch the ball. Easier on the left shoulder turn than on the inside pivot. Um, but, you know, also if you watched like uh, a guy we haven't seen about, like DeAndre Hunter is, even as a young guy, is awesome with sort of ball jab fakes. And he'll just, you know, jab the ball in one direction to get the defender to move a little bit. And I haven't, I don't really, I haven't really seen Collins do that and kind of implement that where he uses a ball jab to kind of get a defender to, to kind of open up the space a little bit and do what he wants. And, you know, but it's, you know, we're talking about a guy who's used his speed and his quick leaping ability, like 99% of the time in those kind of possession, those types of possessions. And, you know, as we potentially see him evolve, be able to do a little bit more and get a little bit more sophisticated in his techniques it's really going to be about manipulating a defender um but that some of this goes back to did they give him enough reps in the last few years to let him kind of grow and evolve that part when trey came in trey became the priority and uh, understandably so 
and it became John diving to the rim kind of is like felt like 90% of his usage was in the high pick right. role where he was diving to the rim. Would they be better served? Would he be a, a better option going into a playoff uh, opportunity like this year? About, but it, it makes me wonder that. Should they have let him get more opportunity to cultivate that part of his game? And would he have that? What he has some of those counter moves you're asking about if he had had those, those repetitions and those opportunities, I don't know, but it's it, that's sort of a limitation right now for him. Yeah, in the in the Milwaukee game, when Lopez was out, they do a lot of switching. Those lineups with Bobby Portis. Yep. And you know, theoretically, he was supposed to have value in that situation. I think, you know, that was a prime opportunity for them to try to seek him out in the post-ups, but uh, it it wasn't working that much. And even just like his straight-up matchup, I think they were trying to cover him with uh, Connaughton. Yep. And he, I mean, they were letting Connaughton brutalize him. So, uh, you know... (laughs) That's the thing in the NBA. If you're six four and you're playing to try to play defense in the post, they're going to let you do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, wow. that's a huge part of Marcus Smart's uh, approach to building his own value. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, that, that's a, that's a problem. Is uh, for whatever reason he just doesn't get any calls and he gets pushed around and you know, all that sort of stuff. And I, I don't know why, but, but that's part of the issue. You know, I, I, I don't know what one does about it, but it's, it's a thing. And he has a ton of value. Like when they play Capella and Collins together, like it's just so good to have, have them in there together defensively. Like when they had the two of them in Hunter, it was just like lights out. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing, that's the thing I, I try to point out is, like in the playoffs, if you see Capella really eating in the high pick and roll, when Collins is at four and you see Gallo really, you know, feasting at the on the perimeter because Collins is dragging defenders to, you know, people are like, oh, they're, you know, they're, Capella and Gallo are so much better than Collins. What Collins forces the defense to do is so valuable to those other guys. And so just, just I encourage your listeners and your viewers to remember that, you know, Collins unlocks a ton of that with just what potential he has that the other team has to account for. And so there are some games, I think, where if you look at Capella's and Gallo's kind of you know, stat line, there's a lot of Collins in that because of what he dictates and how he you know, moves the, the opposing defense. That's fair. Uh, if, if, if still not a little bit unsettling. <laughs> yeah, I, he, he he leaves you right. Kind of when you watch the, these last few games, he leaves you wanting a little more from him. And is that fair or not? I, you know, I don't know, but I think that's a natural reaction to seeing him, you know, kind of being in the game where he's elevated in the offensive priority, and he and he either they don't go to him enough and kind of set him enough or play through him enough, or they do, and he and you're still left wanting a little bit. I think I think that's a, a fair way to think about kind of where he is right now. All right, so I think there are nine games left in the regular season. Yep. Um, seems like players are getting healthy. Tony Snell is 
listed as probable. I think Trey was listed as questionable. Capella still listed as questionable, even though he played. Uh, but I think going into tomorrow, the only two players who were like listed as out out were Hunter and Reddish. And we've heard Schlenk talk on the radio. <laughs> And you can't always put a huge stock in it, I guess, because I think some of the things that he said haven't quite panned out. Uh, But he makes it sound like Hunter's close. And so I guess the question is, let's let's assume that everybody is is healthy to a degree when when a playoff series starts. And even if Reddish is playing, I think it's, it's going to be a haul for him to, to get to playoff caliber. Because I don't think he's had a whole lot of basketball time. But let's say, let's say that Reddish is out of the picture. Everybody else is in it. Make me a playoff rotation. Yeah, I, I think your starting five is Trey and Bogdanovich, Hunter, Collins, and Capella. Um, from there, I think... In the first half, you probably use nine players. I think that's Lou, Herder, Snell, probably Okongu. It may, may it's you know, or or Snell. It, it just depends on maybe the matchup. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, I don't. You know, it, it really does depend on a lot a lot of things. Um, if if an opposing team goes small, you slide solo to the four maybe for some minutes and such. But I, I think that they'll use a Kongu for like five minutes in the first half and then squeeze him out in the second half and go down to eight players in the second half. That's my gut instinct. Wait, did you didn't say Gallo, though, did you? Did we leave Gallo? Well, give yeah, give me your bench again. I got your starters. So Lou, Herder. I guess I have to get to nine. Lou, Herder, Gallo, and I think you have to play Snell. Get you to nine. Okay. That, right. that makes more sense. Okay, yeah. so Lou, Herder... Gallo Snell, and then you. So you're saying that maybe ten for the first half for the first half to nine, right, right, and then down 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 to nine. Um, and I mean, if there are some games where Snell's just not getting touches, and it, and you could squeeze a Snell out in the second half too if you want to get down to eight, you know, something like that. I you know how I feel about Snell, but if Herder's you know, on ball creation is 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 giving you a whole lot more, especially if the other team is throwing a lot at Trey and you kind of need that, especially like, you know, Herder's ability, even like the last, I think month or so, just to kind of drive down into the mid range and create really good shots in that, you know, 10 to 12 foot range. Bogdanovich has that too. And when the other team is throwing a lot of taking away a lot of Trey, those guys have been creating a lot of, a lot of good, you know, pretty efficient offense. Those shots aren't typically thinking of, of, kind of efficient, but both of those guys have been, you know, especially when they're starting with Trey and those guys starting at the two and the three, have been, you know, pretty impressive kind of getting into that area and scoring. So paint shots that aren't rim shots. Right. Right. But, but good, still good shots. And in the, not, not, I know, I don't want to really talk about how far the Hawks can go in the playoffs, but the, you know, in a big picture, the further you go in the playoffs, the more that you have to rely on those shots just because you're facing better and better defense that are taking those, you know, rim shots away and, you know, really dedicating a lot of bodies to the paint and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, so if, you know, and 
a 10 in the first half, maybe? Is that a, is that a little overkill? Maybe. It's hard yeah, to take I still out, don't think, you know. I mean, I guess it's matchup dependent. I don't expect that we'll see. I don't think we'll see a Congo. Yeah, and that's yeah, not a knock. Right. Like you could, you've, it's, 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 the, the growth has been so so obvious. Um, is there a role for yeah. Solo? Like when you when you look at Snell versus Solo? Yeah, any, I mean, if, like if they're facing the pick there, for sure. If they're if they're playing the Knicks, you need Solo to be able to spend some time on Randall. I mean, you just need you just need that strength. Um, you know, in if you're if they're facing. Miami, you're chasing their their shooters over screens the whole damn game, <laughs> and that's where you know Snell is has more value, you know there and stuff. So it comes down to to the matchup for me against against Boston. Um, you know they're gonna you know do a lot with Brown and Tatum, and you know maybe Snell gives you a little bit more there, but um, you know Tatum tends to have a harder time with stronger defenders that can kind of get into him and not let him get his face. So. You know, Solo might be an, an option there as well. The he, thing, might be play, he might be playing both of them in a Boston series. He might, yeah. Um, but, the, you know, the thing for me is that if if you're not going to play a Kongu and you're going to basically try to go the whole game with Collins, Gallo, Capella at the four and five with maybe a few Solo minutes mixed in, depending on the matchup, you have to pull Capella or Collins pretty quick. And if you if if Nate wants to ride that first unit a good six or seven minutes before he really kind of pulls anybody, especially if it's going well, you might have to use a few minutes of a Kongu before you can start kind of getting into staggering the way that you need to the rest of the game to make that happen. So my thought about a Kongu is not that I'm dying to see him on the court uh, in a playoff situation. I, if, if it was possible, it's good for his growth and stuff, but that's not going to be the highest priority. But if, but if you don't want to start pulling someone off like three and a half, four, four and a half minutes into the first quarter, then you might just need him to kind of bridge your riding the starting unit for a while, but, and then try to get to a point where you're starting to stagger guys more. That, that's the only way I kind of see that 10, a 10 minute rotation being maybe possible and only in the first half. Games. Uh, if you're a team looking at the Hawks in the playoffs and you're looking specifically at starting units with Trey, what, you know, what sort of defensive game plan do you lay out? I mean, yeah. I guess it depends on your personnel. So, again, you could prefer, you know, Boston might be one thing. Miami might be another. Uh, the Knicks might be another. But what do you expect just as sort of a general approach? Yeah, so, uh, you know, New York, for example, wants to drop Noel if if they can. But they, they love to have the op because that's just tip style. But you have to give Tip some credit because there's sometimes he's kind of let loose Noel on the perimeter as well. That usually comes like in the third or fourth quarter when they start trying to kind of get a little more sophisticated defensively at times. Um, but you know, I, so that I, I think for the I think against New York, they're kind of inviting Trey into his floater and to see if he's you know has it going that game or not. I think I think there's across the board there's going to be a lot of that invitation to this floater kind of you know happening in the playoffs um miami is just super physical and they're going to want to like push trey around you know and all of that and use bam's ability to kind of move uh and all of that and, and jimmy's ability to play kind of play bully ball and then iguodala still tries to do that some too uh in such a reason just a smart really smart defender so miami's just gonna throw a lot of length at you with their lineups um and and force you to move the ball and trust that they can kind of cover 
the backside. Um, so I, th- I think I think Miami would be the most aggressive defense that Trey would see. I think New York would be the least aggressive defense. A lot more up to touch. A lot more up to touch. And then New York would start off being the least aggressive and inviting that floater type of approach. And then if it's if it's Boston, they you know Boston I think has the most offensive firepower of that group to kind of throw at the Hawks because they get Kemba and uh, Tatum cooking that they're pretty rough. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Jalen can have a, you know, a good game kind of out of nowhere as well. Um, but they have like no rim protection. And so, you know, I, I would just run high screen roll the whole game. I would never have them. I would never want a minute where either Capella or Collins isn't on the court with Trey <laughs> just because of how easy it is to get to the rim against Celtics. Um, and, and so, but, you know, Brad, you know, Brad knows what he has and Brad knows what he doesn't have. So he's probably going to throw a little extra wrinkle on the postseason that we haven't seen so far. Um, but you know, that's his, his tendency is to want to put a bigger wing on Trey and then kind of force someone else to make plays. And, uh, you know, this season, it's nice to have Bogdanovich, you know, and then to a lesser degree, I think a little bit, well, nice to have Herder. Because but until then, it was kind of lights out if if you could get the ball to Trey's hand. So I think Boston will be up to touch as well, but it'll be more like you know a, a, a third defender coming across coming into the action at the nail or near the nail or, or something like that, and putting just a big wing right on Trey's face. So not so much up to touch at the ball screen, but just more bodies in kind of in the in the vicinity and making you swing the ball around the perimeter and chase chase it down. So that's that's kind of what I see, but. Um, I, no matter who it is, they're going to try to make somebody besides Trey make plays. And, and, I, I don't, and I think, you know, some people might think, well, that's just about Trey being the best. I think it's also about testing, is Trey willing to give the ball up and make the right plays at his first? Well, you know, even he, he's willing to give it up, but is he willing to, you know, do all the stuff after he's given it up? Exactly. You know, be a little more than, don't be a weak decoy, be a strong decoy. Right. Right. And then sometimes you won't be a decoy if you're a strong decoy. Right. <laughs> well, he, well, he play with purpose and find something constructive to do to help create spacing and, you know, threaten the defense, all that sort of stuff. I think it'll be just as much about that as it will be about making their lesser creators, you know, be productive. So, um, yeah. Do you have a, do you have like a, an order of who you prefer, say it is between New York, Boston, and Miami, you know, do you, have you put any thought into that at all? It's, it's kind of hard this year. I sort of feel like, and I, this might be true of the Hawks too, but I sort of feel like the Knicks, you know, if, if they have a relative gas pedal, they're already pushing it. Like there, there's, there's nothing left on the accelerator for the Knicks. I think this has kind of been true of some, some Tibbs teams for a while. For sure. Uh, it just kind of goes for it in the regular season. You know, all those players that you mentioned before about Miami, when you talk about Iguodala and um, now I'm just totally drawing a blank. Ariza. I wanted to say our test for some reason. I had our test. I was like, no, it's not on our test. Um, yeah, I just, I just don't have a whole lot of faith that they're going to be able to hold up the offensive side of things. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like that's a big weakness. Like if those two are in the playing rotation, I just think 
there's going to be a lot of minutes where their, their offense isn't quite what it needs to be. So that, that feels like, you know, sort of their weakness. And, and like you said, with Boston, um, you know, I think in a Boston series, Capella is just going to have a big edge. Right. Um, but they're all good teams and they can all do a lot. That just, that just strikes me as sort of the three weaknesses for each one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, and I mean, New York is as unproven as Atlanta is in, in the postseason. So you, you feel like, okay, maybe there's some pretty level ground there where Miami has a ton of experience, you know, there. And Boston, frankly, does too, you know, uh, if we go back Absolutely. to the last few years and stuff and everything. So that makes you feel like New York's probably the best matchup for them. Um, and then I don't know that in a regular season context, we've ever seen a team just really game plan for Randall. I, I think half the league has been like, he's still doing this really, <laughs> you know, is this real? And now here we are with, you know, nine games left. It's like, yeah, it's real, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, like Embiid's first or second time in the playoffs, his passing limitation really stood out because of the way teams game playing him, especially like when Boston threw Horford at him and Horford just kind of shut him down. It's like, he's a terrible passer. So I'm just going to, you know, force him into trying to do, trying to have to do some kind of playmaking and stuff. So, um, you know, I, if I, it's not that I want to like say any of them are easy, should be an easy matchup, you know, at all. I mean, the Hawks, this Hawks team hasn't been here at all either, you know, no more than anyone. But I would tend to think that um, if I were to say which matchup gives them the probably the best chance to win the series, I, I think it has to be New York, just because you know how much can you ride Derrick Rose the whole series as a shot maker, you know. Um, you know, and if it's not Randall and it's not Rose, you know, who is it? You know, as, I mean, like Alfred Payton and, you know, R.J. Barrett and R.J. Barrett's had a great year for second player, but is he kind of really ready to kind of help, you know? So that's kind of where my mind goes in terms of if I, if he made me kind of go to Vegas and put money on the best <laughs> matchup, it has to be, I think, the Knicks first. And then I would think Boston second, just because they're so... Uh, poorly equipped to defend what the Hawks do in terms of generating points at the rim. And then, I'll, I'll, you know, your point about Miami's offensive questions is fair, but I think that if any of those three can kind of throw the most at the Hawks defensively, it's them. Oh, um, sure. For sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, yeah. they, and then the Hawks so, even... Uh, they're so versatile on defense. Like, they yeah. can just do a lot of things. And then when the, when the, even when the Hawks are at, you know, maybe their best on defensively, they still rely on made shots and the ability to get back and set their defense. You know, when you, when you build it around a guy like Capella, you're banking on them getting back to a base defense and kind of going from there. And if Miami kind of get, forces them to go through some offensive dry spells, I think you're going to have a little harder time even defensively against a team like Miami. So I think first choice Knicks, second Celtics, third Heat. But I'd be excited about any, any of the three. <laughs> Did you have feelings about the top of the East? You know, it's I, I have a hard time seeing anybody get past Brooklyn if they're all healthy. You know, I um, I have questions about them defensively, but I don't think the questions are enough to make me feel like on the score. And uh, you know, I, can can Milwaukee kind of put it together with their offensive personnel? Um, the pieces are great. You know, but do they can they really kind of build up offensively? You know, and then Philly, I'm I'm pretty high on what Doc is doing with them. You know, um, but 
in a, in a competitive series, you're going to have to kind of play from behind probably two games, you know, again, any team. And then, you know, can you play from behind with a guy like Embiid, you know, when you need to kind of pick up the pace and go faster and those sorts of things. So I have a little bit of a question, you know, there as well. Um, I, I think the Bucks. I think this is the best version of the Bud Bucks we've seen in terms of just how good they are um, creating uh, their transition defense is so good. They're so good. They're like number one in their in transition. So they know how to use their length and get in passing lanes, even though they're not aggressive at all. They're conservative. Um, so like, if you look at sort of the four factors and, you know, all the different kinds of that they dominate all of that. So I think this is the best version of the bucks, but if the, if the nets have their big three available for 35 minutes a game, I think you have to put them at the top. How about you? I just don't really believe in the Bucks. I just, <laughs> I don't know. I, Same. I, I just can't. Like, swapping out Eric Bledsoe for Drew Holiday is massive. Like, that makes them Huge. so much better. But I just, there's something about, and maybe, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I just don't like their big man situation. Like, just... Yeah. I just think Brooke Lopez is a little too one-dimensional defensively. And I don't trust Bobby Portis at all. So I, I just, in terms of their big men, I just have a lot of questions about what that's going to look like in the playoffs. I just don't feel good about those like switching Portis lineups. I don't know. I, and I don't think that they're such an overwhelming offensive team that, that that makes up for those question marks and and Drew Holiday be damned because I think he's working fantastic. He's awesome. So you, do you think PJ eats into Portis this time at all in the postseason? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing for me. And what is? I mean, we haven't really seen. I mean, it seems like it, she should, but I don't right. know. And what is he? I mean, he was awful in Houston, and but why? Why would he be anything other than awful in Houston this year? Um, but is he making his corner threes and all that? I just I trust PJ Tucker. I trust him a lot more than Portis. And yeah, I um, do. But, I just don't know if. I mean, eventually the clock runs out. Like in Miami, I'm not sure what Dra- you know Dragic was just brilliant last season. And I don't he think was. he will be this season. You know, right. Time, time gets us. Yeah, yeah. I, I think more. Everybody talks about it. I think, but more. Giannis at the five, more Ride Middleton. You know, I it, you know I wouldn't ride Giannis as much. Uh, you know, when a team is sinking their defense and basically making Giannis a jump shooter, may sound like blasphemy, but Middleton is made for the postseason. His ability to get shots at all three levels and you know create and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I I would feel better if I felt like Bud would kind of you know really shift the variables in the postseason and 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 and, and go hard. But you know, it's kind of not his mo. And but you you know. I don't want to say he can't and won't do it, but that I would feel better about them if they play a lot more Giannis at the five minutes and, and play through Middleton. And I actually like Philadelphia, I think, best of all, even more than Brooklyn. But, you know, they might be one and two. And if they play each other, I think I like Brooklyn. Yeah. I, I could see Brooklyn just, you know, having, having things go pear-shaped in round two before they get yeah. to Philadelphia. And I, I think Philadelphia, you know, 
I like them to just be in the conference finals. Like if you got to say who's your one team that will be in the conference finals, I'm saying Philly. But if it's Philly versus Brooklyn, I don't know. I think they yeah. can kind of go nuclear and, and, you know, like you said, uh, you know, do you want Philly playing catch up? How does that work with Embiid? Right. You know, they kind of got to go up and stay up. They, they can't play from behind and Brooklyn can make you play from behind. So. Yeah, they can. And you, you're going to get a ton of title and is he going to avoid an offensive meltdown? I mean, against Brooklyn, you'd have to play title a ton, right? Yeah. Along with Simmons, you know, that give you kind of your two, two guys out there. Um, and they have Green, and they've got him beat in the middle. I mean, that's a brilliant defensive team. Yeah, and Harris is solid defensively. Yeah, you know? Harris is good. Yeah, so so they have some stuff there. But, I mean, you're like, could they play, you know, Seth? Yeah, I, You know, it's hard. They'll need his shot. Well, that's the other reason sure. I like the Sixers. I think he's – I think Dallas is going to miss him a lot. Like, I like uh, They do I miss like him Curry, a ton. But I just think for those two teams, Seth Curry is the better – really for both of them. And I think that was just a bad right. swap. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a pro Josh Richardson, but every team needs shooting and Seth gives you a ton of it. Uh, it would just be funny to see doc, you know, have to make a decision about, about playing Seth. <laughs> his, his family tree is going to be, is like, <laughs> unlike anyone else's. <laughs> ah. So but no, I I I I think so. I mean, Seth is a smart defender too. He's in the right yeah. spot and all that sort of stuff. But but they, I think I think Brooklyn would hunt him out and just because of like what can he do with Harden? He's he's pretty small, you know. What can he do with Kyrie? He doesn't move that well, you know. But Embiid will just make you try perimeter shots. I think you know, he's a pretty big deterrent there. So I think it's going to be really fun, super fun. Yeah, I mean that. I, that. As much as, you know, if I'm looking at that from Philly's point of view, I, I would hate that series for them. I think that's just a fascinating series to watch. I, yeah. I hope we get to see it. because I hope so, too. You know, I, I was looking forward to, like, a lot of these Denver series. And without Jamal Murray, I'm not as much. So, right, right now it's like I, I want to see Brooklyn Philly. For sure. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we shall see. <laughs> if we want to pound out? If, if the Hawks want to, if the Hawks win in the first round, we might have to recalibrate the whole way we're looking at the second round. You know, you never. So that that's maybe for a little a, a podcast down the road a little bit. But uh, meanwhile, right now, the yeah, Hawks the Hawks. Are, you know, like I said, like Brooklyn might have trouble in the second round. Like the Hawks, if they can get through the first round, they feel like the kind of team that could could, could give Brooklyn, you know, reasonable problems, pressure at the rim, you know, some creation, some defense. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't strike me as a horrible matchup for the Hawks. Yeah. I, I actually hate it more for somebody like Philly than I, than I do for the Hawks. And the Hawks, that's one of the strengths of the Hawks is that they can play a lot of ways. Absolutely. That's I mean, their depth and their configurability and all that sort of stuff. And I mean, I, the thing that makes me think about it is like, does Reddish need to play if they play Brooklyn, you know, because of how much, you know, Point of attack defense you need. And I mean, that's possible. Theoretical reddish. I, I don't think reality reddish is going to catch up to somebody like Snell. Right. Agreed. Yeah. But it, it, it would be fascinating to see that. So I hope we get there. But we have a little time between, between now and then. <laughs> not, not, nine games. Uh, the Hawks end up in the play in game as like a nine seed now. Oh, so just... yeah. No, I, 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 I think there's some risk they end up sixth. I, I, I don't know that there's. I mean, knock on wood with the injuries and stuff. I I don't 
see them going yeah. further than that. And and the and the schedule's a little soft at the end. So Yeah, that is true. Very soft. So all right. Well thank you, Glenn. I appreciate you taking the time to do it. My pleasure, Kevin, as always. Have a, Have a good, good night. night.